able to walk in that continued freedom, we must be a living sacrifice to sacrifice our selfish desires for sin and the indulgences that try to pull us away. And you know, we can be bound in sin, and we can be bound by many things in our life, and the way for freedom is through sacrifice. And the same can be said for our finances. You know, it's so easy to be bound up in our finances and our money. You know, God has given us the, the wisdom and the ability to manage our money, but see, God knows more than we do about how best to utilize our money. Because he, see, he already sees down the road in our life. He's already there. He already knows what's going to happen. He already knows what's going on. And more importantly, he looks at our heart. And so if you feel like that you are just bound and you don't have any freedom in your finances, then I would encourage you to make a sacrifice. Obviously, when there's debt in our life, we want to make sacrifices. We want to be able to buy this or that. And we say, you know what? We're going to sacrifice that in order to, uh, to pay off this debt. And uh, the same could be said for, for our giving. When we give to the Lord, we want to say, Lord, this is a, a living sacrifice. I, I, there's other things I, I can do with this money. But this 10%, this is a living sacrifice unto you. And I trust in you. Lord, that you're going to help me be free in my finances, that you're going to help me be able to to make my bills and to be able to pay those bills, and you're going to sustain me. And uh, we don't preach any kind of, you know, you're going to get mega rich if you give. That's not what the Bible says. We don't preach that. But we do preach this. uh, As as believers, uh, we need to, to give our control uh, of our finances to the Lord. And the way to do that is through sacrifice. So as we approach this uh, time of offering, uh, I want to encourage you, what, look inside your heart, be a, a cheerful giver, uh, not, not someone who is just trying to hold things back, but be a cheerful giver and know that the Lord knows your heart and the Lord will sustain you and he will provide for your needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you uh, take this offering, and that you use it to further your kingdom. Lord, this, uh, this does not belong to us. None of it belongs to us. But Father, we pray that you uh, guide us, that you uh, help us, Lord, to trust in you, that you will meet our needs, and help us, Lord Jesus, as we, as we let loose of these things, whether we pay, here, whether we, uh, pay online or whether we give uh, here in the, in the service, Lord, it's all the same. Lord, we are, we are giving an offering of, of, of sacrifice to you. And we pray, Father, that, that you take this and you bless someone else. You bless them, Lord, um, the people that are in need. Lord, we share that time and time again in our church, how we bless people in our community. We pray, Father, that you bless people, you meet their needs, and let us trust in you, meet our needs. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, uh, we have the ushers going to be doing the offering, so guys, if we can go and take care of that. I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine uh, while we're doing the offering, and uh, this uh, gentleman is named Stephen McDonald, and uh, Stephen, come on out here. Stephen is uh, director of Chi Alpha Ministries there in uh, Georgia Southern, and uh, as with college students, uh, you know, college students, it's easy to just sort of go awry, you know, with your life. And so it's easy to start making some selfish decisions and uh, selfish choices and just bad choices in our life. And it's also great to have uh, some uh, ministries 
uh, on campus to kind of help veer us back uh, to the center. And uh, my wife and I, we had the Baptist Student Union there at LSU campus, uh, and uh, we, our life was wrapped around what the Baptist Student Union was doing. We had mission trips, and we had uh, worship services and Bible studies, and it really, really kept us grounded. And so that's what Stephen does um, there at Georgia Southern. And, you know, Georgia Southern is kind of known as sort of the party school in Georgia. Uh, they're, pro- they're probably all party schools, but I know the kids go there uh, really just to party. And so Stephen is there really in a huge mission field. And so I want, I want you to do a couple of things. Number one, I want you to pray for Stephen because uh, it, is a, it is a difficult challenge to be able to reach college students uh, with the gospel and keeping them discipled. And uh, so pray for Stephen and then also pray about how you can help support Stephen. Uh, Stephen earns his support just by um, uh, people like churches and individuals that give to his ministry. And so if you want to find out more about Kaiapha or if you want to talk to Stephen at the end of the service, he'll be there in the lobby. He'll be able to answer any questions uh, you may have. Um, about his ministry and how you can support. But here's what I want to do. I want us to just lift up my brother in prayer as he delivers a word. All right, let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for Stephen his heart. I love what you're doing in the ministry there, Kai Alpha, Georgia Southern. We pray, Father, you make a huge impact in what he is doing and what you are doing there. Uh, Father, uh, speak to him boldly uh, in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, help me welcome Stephen McDonald. Thank you so much, Frank. Well, amen. How are we doing this morning? Doing well? Good. I need some energy, y'all. I mean, I talk to uh, college kids all the time, and they're so up and down, flaky here, there. It's like, ugh. One day, one day you go in there, and they're ready to go. Next, next Tuesday, they're dead. So I don't know what it is, but something down there in the water at Georgia Southern. But anyways, it's an honor. It's a privilege uh, to be here. I am, as Frank said, I am a missionary to uh, the university campus, and uh, my goal is to reconcile uh, students to Christ and then to have them have an impact on the university and also in the marketplace when they go out. So, yes, desperately need your prayers and need you guys to be in prayers. But before I really begin and get into the message, I just want to say a special thank you uh, to, to those that are in the room. You know who you are. There's many that are in here um, that have supported me from day one. Uh, financially. They supported me when what I do now, being a director and teaching, preaching, the discipling, that was just the vision. That wasn't even what I, I had no idea that I had the, the, the capability. I just felt a calling. Hey, anybody ever just felt an itch and just gone with it? Well, that's really what I did <laughs> is I, I just had this idea in my head that I felt that God gave me. And I said, you know what? I want to reach this particular university, my alma mater. And so I did that. So a special thank you to those that are in the room from me that have supported uh, me. Frank prayed for me two years ago, um, really right around this time. And so that's really where it all started. So thank you so much. And um, this morning, I just want to preach to you very, very plainly a short little message from John chapter 4. We're going to go John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. And uh, we're going to go through about two-thirds of the actual chapter here. So we're going to get some Bible reading in. Everybody okay with that? All right. All right. So let's see what God's Word says. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman replied to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have is not your husband. The man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now let's skip on down to verse 28. This will be the last one. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This morning, just for a few moments, I want to talk to you from a subject, just a little title that I came up with. I want to talk to you about the love that is looking for you. I worked real hard on that title. I expected a little bit better of a something than that. Let me give it to you one more time. The love that is looking for you. Amen? The love that is looking for you. One of the things that amazed me, no matter how old the age that I get or um, going out through this crazy thing called life, one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is, is when I continue to meet people, whether it be at the secular university campus or whether it be people that are trained um, in whatever respective job fields that they have, if they go to a trade school, um, 40, 50, 60, 5, 10, 15, the things that never cease to amaze me is this. There is a dryness that really exists in all of our lives. 
There truly is. There's a dryness. And we'll, we can just start from the top. We can, we'll start with clergy. Um, I, I've met pastors before that can preach the literal paint off the walls. These jokers can go in and they can see hundreds of people set free. But yet for some reason down the line, when you actually track them, they end up with a gambling problem. And they go under. Or, well, you've probably heard this story a hundred times, they cheated on their wife. Or they can't, manage, um, they can't manage their household. And you always wonder, why is that? Why is that? I, always, I just always thought that it was, man, that's got to be their fault. It's got to be something that they're doing, X, Y, and Z. And I believe so it is. It's the sin that is definitely in their lives. But then it even got deeper as, as I've started to get into college ministry because I've met kids with amazing spiritual potential, not just in doing things in ministry, but also in the workplace that have influence, that have gone through Chi Alpha, that have come out and now are still making disciples and teaching and training people in the marketplace. And yet they come from hellacious families. They have the worst situation, but yet they're incredible kids. How does that happen? Well, pat on the back to campus ministries or Kyle or to the churches, right? Well, then I've seen it the other way. Kids that come from incredible homes, right? People, uh, parents that are godly, that pray, that have done all the right things to train them up in the way of the Lord, and yet they come out and they're a child of the devil. They live like hellions. And I've always wondered why. Why is that? There's dryness that exists in all of us. And, and irregardless of the clergy, when we talk about people that are in the secular university campus, on my campus, I, I don't know what it is that they do at Georgia Southern or how they recruit or whatnot, but we have a lot of beautiful people that go there. <laughs> uh, it's just the truth. It's, it is what it is. I don't know what the deal is. Um, to the UGA people, they would say, well, oh, that's just the ones that we wouldn't let in. You know, to, to Georgia Southern people like me, it's like, oh, well, hey, these are just the ones that didn't want to go to UGA and pay that overpriced tuition and actually cheer for a team that can win their conference. But that's another sermon. Irregardless of whatever that is, I've met girls that come into our ministry or that want to talk and this and that, and yet they're there's some very attractive women that come into Chi Alpha. But yet, for some reason, when I actually talk to them and get to know them, usually it doesn't take me too long, and I realize their self-esteem is a little bit lower than the neckline, as my man Andy Minio would say. I think J. Cole said it best. He said, I've met so many girls that kill themselves to find a man that'll kill for them. And I wonder, why? Why is there such dryness in their lives? What is the deal? And here we see a woman at a well trying to draw water. And the time is when? It's at noontime. Well, I don't know how hot it gets up here in Cartersville, but come noon to 2 o'clock, Statesboro, Georgia, it's over 100. Water's warm. Why is nobody there? It's a desert. There should be lots of people in this place drawing water. Well, nobody really wants to draw water when it's the heat of the day, right? So you go in the morning or you go in the night. But yet this woman is there alone. There's nobody else that's, that's in the text that is in there. So we have to come from actually back to the text and realize this person is there with nobody. So what are you getting at, Stephen? Well, I think I'm getting at this. Past issues and past sin and past problems and dryness will keep you away from people in your present. It'll take you to a well to where nobody's at because you're embarrassed to even be there. It's true. 
that's the fun, that's the truth here in, in the life and in this text. And she's coming to this well, but yet this well is actually a miracle. When I did some studying of the geography and whatnot that's around the area, there's obviously not much water that comes down. And so for some reason, this well, God has ordained it that it still hasn't run dry years after it should have. And in comes Jesus to meet this woman. And, and I'm so surprised by his response because the Baptist in me or the, excuse me, the, the, the whatever in me, the critic in me would have to say, you stupid heifer, why are you with one, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five? Why can't you get it right? Why can't you get your life together? And now you're with somebody that you're not even married to. What is wrong? But see, I love Jesus because he doesn't just aim for the actual problem. He doesn't just aim for the outside thing of the situation. He aims for the actual problem, excuse me, because he says, woman, you're going after something and you're doing something that's leaving you dry. And so here he is. He's the sage of the age, the the great orator, the Jehovah Jireh, whatever you want to call him, and he doesn't come into this text. He doesn't come in here and say, you stupid woman. No, he says, all you need to do is grab on to this living water that I have, and you won't run dry again. You will never come back. And I love this text because even going further, we see that Jesus really shouldn't even be here. Right? If you read on down through, if you actually track the track that comes down through, Samaria is actually out of the way. <laughs> and the Samaritan people, Jews and Samaritans, they don't exactly mix. There's, there's racial tension there. There's political tension there. And you can go and read through, I'm sure, in whichever study Bible that you have or whatnot, if you're curious, there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of issues going on here that are behind the scenes that if you don't read into it, you'll say, man, but yet Jesus is still here in the middle of the day with a woman who shouldn't be here in the middle of the day talking to somebody that's of the gender that he probably shouldn't be talking to in the middle of the day. But that's the love that finds her, and that's the love that finds you. (laughs) That's the love that ultimately is looking for us. And so as we go down down through, I love this text. Because we see at the very end of this chapter that after all these questions come through and all the things that are that have gone through that Jesus says that he is basically he is the Messiah, that he is the one. I love in verse 28 Because it says right here, then leaving her water jar. I guess if I could just get to the the point of of what I feel like we miss in Christianity and why sometimes we just feel like, man, what is going on? I can't seem to get what God wants to get out of me. Anybody ever felt there, been there? I have. I bought the t-shirt. Well, I'll be honest with you. It's because I've had the jars that I come to God with, I have to get those things filled I have to get those things filled 
so that I feel like God can use me, right? The dryness in all of our lives, and it traces back to that. You can look at my dryness. I'm an open book. You can see it on my right hand. <laughs> you can see it right here. I don't have a ring. You can see it from the top of my head, amen? <laughs> Can't even grow hair anymore. My brother's 36, owns three companies, married with two kids, got a full head of hair, and yet I, <laughs> what is the deal? There's dryness in all of us, and yet we always seem to come to God. I came to God for years of my life, years and times, and I said, God, if I can just have this in the back of my mind. I wouldn't just come to him, but in the back of my mind, I had it all planned out. I would say, you know, whether it was when I was 22, 23, God, if I can just get through this, God, if I can just find somebody that I could be with, God, if I could just have enough money left over to where I can do X, Y, and Z, God, I'll serve you better. Why? Because I'll have the capacity to. No, that is not laying down the water jar. That is taking whatever you want and wanting to to be filled. And the thing is, this woman could go back to the well over and over and over and over again and keep getting it filled and keep getting it filled, and she's going to survive. But how many of you know surviving isn't really living? (laughs) Surviving isn't really living. It's not. It's really not. You know, I tell my students all the time, they, they ask me, um, I say, Stephen, what's your biggest fear? You know, it was being a director. You know, is it that um, the great ministry at Chi Alpha that you had before or that, that's been done before, is that it'll fail, that you'll go from, you know, having X amount of students to Y amount of students? No. Is it to, you know, not being as mission minded? No. My biggest fear is this, is I, I, I've been a Christian for uh, 12 years, and I, I'll just, I'll keep it 100 with you. I'm a plain speaking guy, if you can't tell. I, I've never seen more discontentment than in the back of church pews growing up over my 12 years of life for people who haven't laid their water jars down or their jars that they're just wanting to be filled. They live with so much discontentment. They're so discontent and burdened by their lives. My biggest fear for my students is that they will go out and that they won't be doing the things that God had ordained and intended for them to do. And they will spend their whole entire life running a circle and chasing tail around the things that people say that they should be, that people say that they should be doing instead of what God says that they should be doing, that they are not living by God's word. They are not living and seeking the water and the truth of God's word, but they are just running around in circles like this woman is right here. So when we look at this text, we see that we have Jesus, we have this woman, and we have these water jars at the end, cramming down. She be actually becomes out and becomes a missionary to the thing. But when I really started to wrestle and grapple with this text, and I started trying to figure out, like, how can I read this conversation or how can I read into this with more depth? I had to go back to the beginning chapters because I had read it. In, in a line, and I'd been studying just this scripture. And so when I actually, when I go back and I look in John chapter one, it's amazing because in John one, I see that people are looking for Messiah. If you go back through and read it, they're looking for God. 
all through. As a matter of fact, there's a man that comes through named John the Baptist, and when he comes through, they're automatically asking him three questions. They said, are you Messiah? Are you prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you this? Are you that? Or whatever. And he literally says, no, 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 I am not. I am not he. Turns out, if you actually read on later to what Jesus said about him, he says that he actually was Elijah. I had a student come up and ask me one day, they said, how can you say that this Bible is true when God's people don't even know what they are? (laughs) He said, if you look at John chapter 1 and you read through, he says he's not Elijah. But yet Jesus later said, I said, and I love my answer. I looked at him dead in the face. I said, I don't know. Maybe it's because it really doesn't matter what you think about you or what other people think about you. But what does God think about you? (laughs) What does God say about you? Yeah, amen goes right there. (laughs) Right? I looked at him dead in the face. Loved my answer for one of the first times ever. And so as you go through and you read this text, you see, man, people are looking for Messiah. People are looking for Jesus. They're looking for something. If I go around in this world, you'll find people are looking for Messiah. They're looking, they're looking for a God. They're looking for something. We see it more and more, especially in this world. So John chapter 2, we keep going. And what do you have? You have Jesus at a wedding going through. And what are they looking for? His mother comes up to him and she says, Jesus, and she says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And he literally bukes him. What are they doing? They're looking for a miracle. And he says, no woman, the miracle is not here just yet. It's not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. My father is not finished with me here on this earth. John chapter three, you go through and you see, uh, and you see Nicodemus, a very wealthy Jewish man. You will later read in the later parts of John um, Nicodemus was a wealthy man. He was a, he was a Pharisee, but he was actually on the council. And so he comes through and he is looking for answers from Messiah. Wealthy, power. Text doesn't say if he has a family, but I assume that he might. He has provision, but yet he is still looking for Messiah. And Jesus talks to him. He gives one of the greatest lines in scripture that I love and that I care about. It's actually not John 3.16, it's John 3.17 that God does not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And you see that here in this text right here. John chapter 4, we get to John chapter 4. All these people, all these things, all these from different backgrounds, whether it be John the Baptist, whether it be people at a wedding, whether it be Nicodemus, a man who is affirmed in religion, they're all looking for Messiah. But John chapter 4, Jesus is looking for the Samaritan woman. I don't know where you're at in this person, but I'm just going to basically can tie up this whole little sermon. I just want to let you know this morning, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what kind of garbage you've had in. I don't know if you've been from person to person to person, from relationship to relationship to relationship, from drug to drug, from alcohol to alcohol, from whatever I want to give you some truth today, this morning, that Jesus is looking for you, just like he was looking for that Samaritan woman. Amen. He's looking for hearts that will be surrendered to him. And it doesn't matter the baggage. It doesn't matter the garbage. Because if you look at the output of what happens, this woman becomes an immediate, immediate missionary, immediate person, an immediate person of influence into her community. So right now, I just want to invite you guys. I just, like I said, I, I keep it short because my college students, I get them for 20 minutes and their ADD's done, <laughs> right? 
But I just want to invite you guys, not to be humorous or funny, I want to invite you to a serious time to come up and to lay the water jars down that you might have in your life. And the Holy Spirit will talk to you. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You guys know exactly what that is. The dryness that I spoke of, you'll know. And I just want to encourage you right now to bring those problems to this part, to this altar, whether if you want to come right here or whether you want to just bend right here or whether you want to go pray with somebody in the back. It doesn't matter. But I want to encourage you because I know that there is things, that there is people in this room that have woken up today and that I might have said, God, I know that there's more. I know that there's more. you have more for me than this. There's got to be more. And not for my glory, but for God's, but for your glory. And you just don't know how to get that. And I just, maybe the, today is your day, maybe, to where you can come and say, you know what? I've got these jars that I've always brought to God, and I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to lay these things down at these places, these altars. I'm ready to lay these things down and say, you know what, God? Come fill me. I'm not coming with any expectation. You don't have to do X, Y, and Z. But God, I just want you to fill me. I need your presence to fill me. Because boyfriends, girlfriends, they won't fill you. (laughs) Television, fame, money, popularity, it won't fill you. But I know that God's glory and that God's spirit can fill you. Amen? Amen.